and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morphus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary-aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, let's get this conversation started. Welcome to the Literacy Teacher's Life podcast. This is the podcast for ideas, tips, and strategies to help elementary children thrive with literacy. This is episode 33, and it is the first episode of 2024. Happy New Year! For today's episode, I have a guest. Emily Drabinsky. Emily is the current president of the American Library Association. On today's episode, Emily is going to talk about an upcoming conference, the LibLearnX conference, that the American Library Association is hosting very soon. And she's also going to give us an update on some of the issues that libraries and librarians are facing today. During our conversation, Emily talks about the important role that libraries play in the communities that they serve. You don't want to miss some of the ways that libraries are supporting their communities. You will be shocked and amazed by all that they do. Truly is unbelievable. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. So do you mind starting by introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Emily Drabinsky, and I'm an associate professor at the Library School at Queens College in the City University of New York. And I am the current president of the American Library Association for the next five months and three weeks. But who's counting? (laughs) Awesome. So as an associate professor at Queens College, can you talk about your role there? Yeah, so this is a new job for me, a new position. I just started in the fall as a full-time faculty member in the department. So I am teaching library school students, so people getting their master's degree and entering the profession. And I love it. I love teaching. I've been an adjunct professor for quite a while in a number of programs around the city of New York, but this is my first time having that as my primary job. And, you know, I've been in the field for 20 some odd years, and I spent years and years showing students how to use the library catalog and having them ignore me. And so this is like a really <laughs> nice change and a, a really exciting time to be teaching young and new and up and coming librarians. Oh, that's great. So the American Library Association has an event coming up this month, the Library Learning Experience. Mm-hmm, we sure do. Can you talk a little bit about this event? Yeah, so the X conference is going to be in Baltimore, Maryland, which is where my twin sister lives. And so (laughs) there are a couple of big exciting things happening. First, I'm going to visit my sister, but also (laughs) the library learning experience will convene librarians from across the country to come together and trade tips and secrets and strategies and develop ways of addressing naughty problems of our field. As you've probably seen, the library field is undergoing some real convulsions right now. We have got a, we're up against a lot. We have been made a target for organized pro-censorship 
activists and we've we've been politicized in a way that I never thought would ever happen because like who doesn't love a library so it'll be really good just to sort of be together but also to talk about some of the challenging issues that we're facing right now yeah absolutely what are some of the issues beyond book banning that librarians are experiencing would you say you know, people are really concerned about artificial intelligence and the impact that's going to have on the work that we do. And, you know, as a longtime academic librarian, it's definitely an area of concern for, for academic librarians. And that's a, a big issue. We've got a full track of programs that we'll be dealing just exclusively with that. Privacy issues are a big, something that we're talking a lot about. And of course, the book banning intellectual freedom issues, but also a lot of celebration of reading. You know, I've been an academic librarian forever mm-hmm. and my uh, sort of relationships to children and teens is sort of blessedly limited to the one that lives in my home with me, right? <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I've discovered is that the youth divisions of the American Library Association do a lot of celebration at the meeting that we have in the winter and they will be announcing honors and awards for the best youth media of the year. And I'm really excited to celebrate with all of them. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. So someone who attends the conference in person, what can they expect? They can expect to hang out with me and have a really (laughs) fantastic time. So that I would say first. Um, And just spending time with each other. You know, I think that's what associations are really for. They're for convening people to come together and We'll have all kinds of immersive learning experiences and talks by prominent authors and the exhibit floor will have speakers and authors throughout the time that we're in Baltimore together, sort of sharing about their books and sharing about current issues in the field. But I think it's really what you can expect is to see one another and to spend time with one another. I think that's the most important piece. Absolutely. Are you able to talk about which authors are attending? Yeah, I am a little bit. Yeah, we've got a few that have been announced. The one that I'm really excited about is George M. Johnson's going to be joining us. Oh, awesome. The author of All Boys Aren't Blue. And so that's not only a very commonly banned book, but a really good book, a book that really opens, sort of, at least for me, opened my eyes to a whole sort of slew of issues and questions and joys and desires that I think it'll be really exciting to, to hear about. Kate D. Camilo is going to be talking. Um, yeah, she's, everybody loves her. So yeah. looking forward to her speaking in the Libler Next studio. And then our opening speaker will be Michelle Norris, who is a journalist who has a, a lot of experience and knowledge around uh, how race works in America. And I can't think of a more important thing for us to be talking about right now. That's a great lineup. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It's going to be great. Everybody should come. Exactly. Hang out with me, some crab (laughs) cakes and some burger cookies. (laughs) It's going to be great. Oh my gosh. You started to talk about the different formats. And I saw on the website that there are different educational programs, the accelerators, the ideas exchange, the learning labs, and the shop talks. What are these different programs? Yeah, it's exciting, right? So Mm -hmm. I think the 
sort of pushes to get away from the sage on the stage, sort of telling you the way things are, you know, that kind of uh, lecture style. So we're the, we have these different formats. So the accelerators take place outside of sort of a learning experience and a reflection that you might have in a classroom setting, but outside of the classroom. So ways of bringing people together to sort of talk through different kinds of challenges. The Ideas Exchange offers peer-to-peer conversations around current issues in the field. So the sort of structured opportunity to talk about current topics with other librarians. Learning Labs will offer instruction in new opportunities, methods, and approaches to library work. And then the Shop Talks are mini presentations that allow us to dive into sort of topics and, and come away with key takeaways. So a little bit shorter, a little bit, and all of them are quite current and contemporary. So how do you deal with the problem that you're facing at the desk right now? Oh, that's amazing. So everything can be applied. All applied. Yeah. But, you know, I I love this field because like everything's applied in librarianship, even our ideas. So I think it's going to be a really fun time. That's awesome. As you talked about, there are so many interesting topics that you're discussing, like the AI and the privacy issues with younger students. Is there anything, and you touched on this a little bit, would you say that there's something in particular that's the most pressing challenge that is going to be addressed for librarians that they're facing? I've been president of the ALA for six months, and I've talked to hundreds of librarians, and I've visited dozens of libraries. And Everywhere I go, there are things that are unique kinds of challenges and unique opportunities for different libraries. I was in New Mexico a few months ago and learned about a library that offers uh, for residents who can't afford the gas to drive from the small rural community to the Mm -hmm. courthouse to deal with traffic violations. They've set up a, a sort of digital Zoom court right, where you can take care of those kinds of low-level legal issues without having to drive. Like the library set that up? The library set the that library up. The library set that up. That's unbelievable. That up. Oh, my gosh. The library set that up. I was in Ames, Iowa. I think you'll like this one. Oh, my gosh. The Ames Public Library circulates reading glasses. No so, way. So, you know, you, like, you get to the library and you're like, oh, you check your yeah. purse and your pockets and you can't find your reading glasses. No problem. Go to the desk and I'll give you a pair that you can use while you're in the building. So every oh library gosh. I go to has like a different kind of thing like that that just sort of blows my mind. And so the pressing issues, I think, are can be really particular and different. So, in, right. you know, I live in New York City and the most pressing issue for public libraries in, mm-hmm. in my city right now is the sort of funding cuts that we've seen yeah. that have led to the cancellation of Sunday service. So that's the most urgent issue for me in New York City, but in other places, Mm -hmm. the issues are censorship attempts. In some places, it's a lack of support for the school library. In some libraries, AI is a big concern. In other libraries, just getting access to broadband internet is the concern. So I think it's, but what we all have in common is like, how do we best serve our communities, given the resources that we have? And what you're saying is that the library really has a pulse on what's happening in the communities. Absolutely. Yeah, they really know, you know, because I don't think there's any other profession where whose job it is to sort of see what the problems are and try to solve them. It's like what what libraries do best. 
That's and I don't think people are aware that libraries do that so well. Are you ready to have your mind just completely blown? I am. Are you ready? You're sitting down. <laughs> I, I am sitting. There's another library in New Mexico that partners with the University of New Mexico for a program that offers the only potable drinking water for low-income residents serious? in the county. Oh my god! From the library. The library. The library. Oh my gosh. I was skiing with my family over winter break. We were in Northern California. And guess what the branch library in Truckee has on offer that you can just check out from the library? Snowshoes. Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh you can just my check gosh. out a pair of snowshoes and go out from the library. In the, from the library. It's just like libraries are incredible, amazing incredible. places. And Liberal Next gives us an opportunity to celebrate all of that. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my that's amazing. Oh my gosh. That needs to be advertised more about how much is being done by the library for the communities. That's amazing. Because I went to the Truckee because I had to submit yeah. grades for my Queens College class. So I go to the <laughs> library and I'm like, I'm here for the Wi-Fi. But then I look, turn yeah. and I look and they're on the shelves, all these pairs oh my of gosh. snowshoes. Unbelievable. That's incredible. That is incredible. Oh my gosh. Amazing. So if someone's interested in attending the conference, where should they go to register? You can always Google it, mm-hmm. LibLearnX24, or you can go to 2024.alalibLearnX.org, and that will okay. give you all the information about how to register, both for our in-person and for the digital experience, which will also be offered. Awesome. And that, that transitions right into the next is, what can someone gain from the experience if they can't attend in person but can only attend digitally? The digital experience gives you access to select programs and on-demand programs that won't that are happening exclusively in the digital space, and so an opportunity to see the conversations. All the main stage events will be broadcast on the digital experience, including my president's program, which wow. I'm really excited about. Where we're going to be featuring three librarians who make community connections, including a librarian from Donnelly, Idaho, named Sherry Shaline. Her library circulates. Are you ready? I know you think your mind can't be blown anymore. I can't wait to hear this. Cotton candy machine. Are you kidding? So you want to have cotton candy at your kid's birthday party or at the school picnic or whatever. You can borrow it from the library. Make some cotton candy and then return it. That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So trying to tell the stories of how libraries build community. Yeah. And just really proud of all the work that we do. Unbelievable. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like the conference is going to be a great experience. It is. And everyone should register. Please register. We'd love to see you in Baltimore. And thank you so much, Elizabeth, for giving me an opportunity to talk about it on the show. Absolutely. I have a few questions for you about libraries nationally. And I'm just curious if the, the I spoke to the former president and she had given some information about book bans. And this is an issue. Mm-hmm. A few of the children's authors that I've spoken with recently have spoken about how that's impacted them. So I'm curious, can you give an update on book bans in the U.S.? And what do you think this means for our young readers? Absolutely. Yeah. It's I wish that you were asking me that question and I was going to say things have calmed down yeah. and we're done. And I keep wait. I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning thinking, oh, maybe this nightmare is over. Yeah. Where this assault on children and assault on the right to read, like maybe it's done. Right. Unfortunately, that's not the case. The preliminary 2023 data, which we have for the first eight months of the year, 
showed a dramatic increase in the number of censorship attempts in public libraries. So we've got, you know, the argument has been over the first sort of two years Mm -hmm. of this crisis that the, that we need to protect children. We need to eliminate certain kinds of books from our school libraries, but you can always get them in your public library, but now we've seen a real shift. So the, the difference is I think close to 50% of the challenges were in public libraries this year. It's six. Then the number is 16% in the previous year. So the number of unique titles that have been challenged Mm -hmm. has also increased by 20% from the same reporting period last year. So we've got the the hard numbers, 695 attempts to censor library materials and documented challenges to nearly 2,000 unique titles. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. It's terrible. But you know, I I feel like we talk a lot about how terrible it is, but I also see lots of wins, yeah. you know? And I think that's important to recognize just this week. A judge put a stay on a bill in Iowa that would have restricted access to LGBTQ plus uh, reading materials. We've got even in St. Tammany Parish in Louisiana, which is one of the real hotspots for censorship, books that were challenged or made their way through the review process, and many of them are being put back on the shelves. So I think it's important That's good. to recognize that when we fight, we win. Right. That's great to hear. And then I, I have a question for you. This is something that I'm seeing a lot. So I've always felt that, and, and you've discussed this, that Libraries just provide so many resources to both children and adults. And librarians in particular are in such a position to help young readers find books and authors that they love and that they enjoy reading. And I'm hearing from parents who are telling me that their children, young children, I'm talking like first graders, do not enjoy reading. It's so sad to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what suggestions you have for getting kids to enjoy reading. My teenager just walked in the door and uh, I can tell you that that's a question I ask myself constantly. And I don't know that there is a real answer. I think one of the most important things is to remember how much reading is like to tell the story of reading as a fun thing to do and not a school Mm -hmm. thing to do. So I, you know, I think I can't make my kid read any more than I can make your kid read. But what I can do is read a lot myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Read around kids, right. right? And to, you know, I think one of the most crucial things is to let kids read whatever they want, right? To be choice, to give, not like you have to read this, or you have to read that, but to really like give people access to a whole lot. And this is true for kids and adults. Like if you want right. to read, like read whatever you want, you know? And I think that's one of the things that libraries do and, what's being attacked right now is not just individual titles, but the, you know, the professional decision-making of Mm -hmm. librarians. And so we are trained professionals who build collections for lots of different kinds of readers. So how do I get kids to read? I think it has a lot to do with having lots and lots of books available. Mm -hmm. And exactly what you said, a person who can like get to know the kid and then find a book that would work for them. Because like my kid likes, you know, when he was younger, he loved the Rick Reardon books and that was all he would read. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we've been through the Rick Reardon like a billion times. Guess what (laughs) I did next? I went to the library and I asked the YA librarian, I was like, your kid likes this. What else can I give him? What's next? And so that's why it's really important to have a, a professional whose like job it is 
to know what books there are and to be able to talk to kids about what they want to read. Right. But I, you know, I, I don't want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like kids don't read. Yeah. I feel like I am guilty sometimes <laughs> of saying that myself, you know, cause like the book banning stuff, aren't you just like, have you looked at a phone lately? Like you're really worried about the book. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. Have you, have you seen what's on there? My problem is not that my kid reads too many books. Right. That are racy, you know, <laughs> the phone is the issue, but exactly. Yeah, that's Exa- a I'm with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Do you know how to get kids to read? I think choice is huge. I think yeah. asking them what, like, and we all have certain things that we like reading. And I think providing them with choice. And I fear with some of the instruction happening at it's very interesting that I'm hearing from parents of real young kids, like kindergarten, first graders, mm-hmm. that they don't enjoy reading. That should be, you should be loving that. That's like peak reading time. Exactly. And I think reading aloud to kids, that can go on all the way through. It doesn't have to end. And read to mm-hmm. them, read what they like, talk to them about it, you know, builds bonds with your child. Read the same book. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong with rereading talk about it. And I think that helps. Mm -hmm. I think choice is huge, making sure they have something that they want to read. I don't know if there are restrictions, you know, every classroom runs differently, but are there restrictions happening where kids have to read only on their level? I don't think there's a problem with having them. We don't take books away from two-year-olds who can't read and they're just looking at the pictures and looking at the words. There's no problem with that. I don't Mm -hmm. think there's an issue with that for a first grader or a fifth grader either. Yeah, I mean, I think you're just wanting to give them, it's like feeding them food, right? Like you have a bunch of different options and like they'll eat what they eat, you know? Right. You're just trying to make it fun. Yeah. Yeah. And having multiple to read. So do I. Yeah. And having multiple books going at the same time, I think, is another great. So if you don't really want to read one, you have another. Mm -hmm. You pick it up. I think Oliver Barkman. Yeah. Yeah. Graphic novels, yep. like different formats. Different formats, yeah. Nonfiction, fiction, absolutely. Just having different mm-hmm. things there. Yeah. I had heard Oliver Berkman, he wrote 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, you know, he was giving advice for to adults who wanted to read more. And he said, I think he put it that reading is like, it should be like a river that you have all, you know, different books available that you can pull from. And mm-hmm. when you feel like reading a particular title, you pick it up and read it. And if you don't feel like reading another one, you don't read it. I mean, that's it's like it's that's what I love about reading. And what I love about libraries, really, it's like non-coercive, mm-hmm. like whatever. Right. Do your thing. Read whatever. You know, I think that's one of the great things that libraries offer. Right. And librarians, again, as you said, they're the experts. They know the books and the authors. They can help put just give kids the options. These are available I, for you. I really didn't know until becoming ALA president how much youth librarians read and how much they love reading. They know so much about books and authors and just like machines, you know, they just like read so widely and know so much. And there's a real love and appreciation for literature in that community. And, you know, to see that like crucial public resource being attacked. Yeah. It's a real bummer. So it'll be really great to celebrate it instead. I think that's great. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So is there anything before we finish that you would like to add about your work with the ALA or even about your experience in higher education? Get a library card. Yeah. 
Good piece. <laughs> if you don't of have it. a library card, go get one. My partner just got her library card earlier this week, so it's never too late. <laughs> don't be ashamed. I can't believe it took her this long. And I think when we see people attacking the things that we care about, it's really important for all of us to pull together. And so that's yeah. been the focus of my presidential year is making sure that people feel not alone, that our stories are getting told and not the stories that are, you know, people who are anti-library are telling about libraries, but the stories that libraries can tell about themselves. And there's yeah. a lot of joy there. So that's the focus for me. That's great. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. So before we end, we're just going to end on a positive note. I can go first. So is there thank anything you. in your, no problem, in your reading, your writing, your teaching, I would even, I'm going to even add your traveling life that's going well that you can share. And you actually touched upon mine and mine is rereading. So I personally am rereading a couple different books that I've read a while ago when a different time in my life. And it's so fun to be rereading them now and have a different perspective. And I've been rereading things with my two kids. So my older daughter wanted to reread Charlotte's Web. So we're doing that. And it's just so I love that. just to see her growth with the book from when she was younger to now. It's unbelievable. And her understanding of it now that she's older has been really fun. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. So I am a member of a reading challenge group Ooh. of 20 women from across the country. And we're in this like Facebook group and it's kind of random how we all yeah. got there, but <laughs> we all got there and it's called the inner sanctum. And we have each year we select 50 categories and you have to read a book in each category. Oh and gosh. so the beginning of the year is always a really exciting time because you get the list. Yeah. And it's in a oh, spreadsheet. Oh, that's fun. Oh, oh my gosh, it's in better. a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. And so, like, what like every professor all, loves. <laughs> like, let me tell you, it's the best, most fun <laughs> spreadsheet. So, we've got the 50 categories, and right now I'm busily finding books to fit into each of those categories. So, I just finished the Thursday Murder Club. Okay. Have oh, you read wow. this book? I have not read this. I've heard about so, it, I've not read it. It's in the category of protagonist over the age of 65. Oh, and it's nice. just, it was so much fun to read. And I never really? would have picked it up. And it was just because of the challenge that I picked it up. So that's what I'm doing right now. This is the thing that's going great. It's just like I get to think about all the books I'm going to read this year and make a little plan oh, for myself. And I have to read an audiobook. Do you read audiobooks? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I haven't really done that before, but right. the, the challenge is stretching me. And so oh, that's good. I'm listening to one of Paula Poundstone's books right now. And it's very funny. And she writes a lot of jokes about kids, which that's are so pretty funny. funny. So I'm listening to that while I walk around and run my errands. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. That's even a great, I was, as you said that, that's a great idea for a classroom, giving the kids a, some type of reading challenge. And as you said, it might push them beyond their comfort zone to read something different. Yeah, because I think like... It's fun. Because I think that's the, like the skill you have to develop. I wouldn't yeah. have thought about it as a skill, but the skill of picking a book right. and finding pleasure in that is like, the spreadsheet really like promotes that. That's awesome. So I've got to find a book. That idea. I've got to find a book that is about a historical event that I don't know anything about. Oh, wow. So like... Oh my gosh. It's just it's like fun to think about. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. But I'll send you an update at the end of the year. So I can't wait I to receive. I definitely want to see that. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to us. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thanks, Emily. What a great conversation. I learned so much from speaking with Emily about libraries around the country and what they're doing to support their communities. Oh my goodness, a cotton candy machine. That is truly amazing. I don't think libraries are getting nearly enough credit for all the work that they're doing and how amazing that they have such an understanding of the needs of the communities that they serve. I hope that you learned something from my conversation with Emily, and please do check out the LibLearnX conference. I'll link to it on the page on my blog so that you can check it out when you have time. I hope everyone is having a great start to 2024. I'll be back in two weeks with another great educator. So until then, happy reading. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teacher's Life. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at The Literacy Teacher's Life. My email address is Elizabeth at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course, you can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.